good morning. morning. Take your Bibles, your, your copy of God's Word, and turn with me to Psalms 56. Psalms 56 is where we are. I hear a little feedback going on here. And um, if you got, if you don't have an outline, they're back there on the blue table. We got that? Good. All right. Let's stand to our feet as we as we again uh, align ourselves and our lives. Here's the truth, brothers and sisters. Every one of you have came in with some kind of burden on you. And, and if you don't, you're about to walk into one. And so we all have something to grieve over. We all have something to lament of. And we all have a battle to fight this morning. So this text is for everybody. And so let us hear from God's word. We have a context here in Psalms 56. It says here to the choir master, according to the dove on the far off terebinth, a mictum of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. Mine enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they waited for my life. For their crimes will they escape. In wrath cast them down, down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render my thank offering to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. This is the word of God. Let's pray. So God, your word is powerful. And in your providence, you have brought us as your people to this psalm, this day, in the midst of the situations of all of our lives, though they are different. They are serious to all of us. And we have fears, and we have failures, and we have sins done by us, and sins done to us. And Lord, we brought all of that in with us today. And so, Lord, I pray you have been teaching us, and Lord, that you will teach us today the powerful weapon, tool, and gift of lament in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't take this as a depressing message. Lord, this is a hope-filled message. That we are with Christ right now. And nothing will ever change it. And so, Lord, speak to your people. And those who are here who know not Christ, 
pray that you will do that work of regeneration and then the day through the power of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So what have we learned so far as we've worked through the laments? I, I added a few uh, last night. That's not in your notes. Uh, pastor's privilege. <laughs> start off with a little bit of a warning. Um, you can ignore the lament psalms if you choose to. You can think that time will heal your grief if you want to. But there are plenty of people who could bear witness that that's not true. And God's word bears witness that it's not true. God gives us lament. If you ignore lament, your grief will go unresolved. Though it's 50 years ago, it will still be there. Ignore lament and you will grow bitter and spiritually stagnant. Ignore lament and you will not experience the freedom and the healing that Jesus died to give you. So lament, then, brothers and sisters, you see it in your, in a, over behind me, is, is a gift from God. It's given to us to help us in the hard and the brokenness of life. Lament assumes something. The Bible assumes something, that God is responsible, powerful, and concerned. He's concerned about how we feel. He concerns with what we are dealing with today. Lament is not our second response. It is not our third response. It is always our first response. We praise the Lord for good friends and good family. I have them. I have some of my brothers. You want to know why this church is here, brothers and sisters? It's because of those guys back there that came to support me today. Those, I had a group of men I lived life with. They spoke into my life, and we, I spoke into theirs. And the church is here because of those kind of people. We love those kind of, of people in our life, but... Lament says God is first. God is who I go to when I don't know what to do. What are you afraid of this morning? What are you afraid of? Here's the question of the text. What can mortal man do to me? And on one side, what are we all saying? (laughs) I can do plenty. Right? Hurt me, kill me. We've just been talking about betrayal for what, two weeks? Betray me. Run me out of business, break up my family. They can do plenty. That's not his point. We'll see his point as the sermon unfolds. Here's one thing that we need to get. Fear is a reality. And sometimes, listen, it's a necessary reality. Fear can keep you alive. But fear can also paralyze you in your bed. It is a misunderstanding. It is a lie that we believe to think that we can be all of faith and or all of fear. In reality, in the human experience, both exist. Both go on inside of us at the same time. It is not courage or faith to stand in front of a bus or a train and expect it not to run over you. That's not courage. That's just a mindless recklessness. Fear is a God-created human tendency that encourages us to avoid danger. If the hurricane comes on the coast, it is a good fear that causes people to evacuate. So let's be careful as Christians when we use general terms. Both exist. Bravery presumes fear. Bravery is when we're afraid and we do what's right anyway. Bravery is when you find out that your 
pregnant and you do what's right anyway. Anybody can run from our problems. It takes courage to do what's right in the face of them. And so the weapon here is faith. We've seen it throughout the Bible. David's encouraging us. How how do we use this? How can I answer this question biblically? What can man do to me? Or what can, listen, replace man if you need to this morning. Every one of you has been through something. What can a broken home do to me? What can, hey, here's mine this morning. What can cancer do to me? What can criticism do to you? Main idea. Faith in God's promises delivers us from paralyzing fear. To trust God and live. Two points. Doesn't mean the sermon's going to be short, by the way. (laughs) Amen. Fear's reality and faith's victory. Fear's reality and faith's victory. We've been seeing this every week. We can be honest with God, and so is David, and every time he opens up here. And so we see, look at verse 1. There is a reality in David's situation. He says, be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. My enemy tramples on me all day long. For many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. The need here, you see, is what? It's grace. What is grace? That word means compassion, pity, even generosity. David is desperate. He is alone. He is afraid. I thought about that this week. The last two years of my life, I've had all kind of new experiences that I never had before. Ever since I was young, like many of you, I never really went to the doctor and I never took medication and I really didn't know that whole experience existed until I had a heart attack. I can still remember laying on the table to get a heart cath. And it seemed like, I don't know what happened to them. I think they all went on a smoke break or something. And I'm sure it wasn't as long as that felt like. But when you're laying there with a sheet on you, you know, waiting to get a test, and you got this big question mark over your head about what's going on, I can remember it is in those moments, and it still happens. It happened this week. When I'm laying on a table by myself with a question over my head, that the fear comes. What? If, how about, why? This is David's situation. And understand, last week, David was the king. And what, we, what did we find out last week? That even when you're the king, you can be betrayed. You're not immune to it when you're on top of the hill. Matter of fact, sometimes you get attacked precisely because you're on top of the hill. But now he's, many years before, running from, for his life from The other king, Saul. See, do you remember the story? If you want to, turn with me to 1 Samuel 21. By the way, when someone's talking to you or preaching, I always check what they're saying. (laughs) You know, the Bible calls that being Bereans. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21 tells us a story. If you remember, uh, David had went to Ahimelech. We talked about that in a psalm the other week. The priest of Nod. And he needed help. He only had a few guys with him, but they were hungry. And he gave them something to eat. And this is an important little piece of information. Ahimelech gave them Goliath's sword. Uh, This was a rather, by the way, an expensive 
act of compassion that would cost those in Nod their life. Uh, David keeps running because Saul is after him. And where does he run? Gath. That's the context of this psalm. If you, if you got First Samuel 21, look at verse 10. It said, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him and dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. So who lived in Gad? The Philistines. Who was the Philistines' champion? Goliath. What happened to Goliath? David cut off his head. You know, <laughs> you ask the question, David, brother, what was you thinking? All the places you could go, you know, you, you went to Gath. Uh, was he crazy? Was he cocky? Or was he desperate? Uh, the brother was desperate. And he was also alone, so you can't put his mighty men with him yet because they don't come in to start coming into the picture to chapter 22. David had a few guys with him in Himalek, but when he goes into this town, he was by himself. So he was already scared. The next thing you know, he goes into Gath, and people start saying, you're the one they sung that song about. <laughs> I'm sure they said, you recognize that sword? That sword looks familiar. David was afraid. If you don't believe it, read verse 12. And David took all these words to heart and was much afraid of, the, of Achish, the king of Gath. Here's the truth this morning. Faith and fear coexist. An authentic faith is seldom a perfect faith. If you don't believe it, just keep reading the story. Look at verse 13. So David is afraid, verse 13. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gateway and let spittle run down his beard. That was an act of bravery, wasn't it? He was afraid. He was desperate. He was in danger. Look at, just look at, notice the words in verses 1 and 2. You got the word tramples, you see? Verse 1, look at the second line, the word oppress. By the way, that's where we get the word abuse today. You've been abused. The Bible calls that being oppressed. That, that's, that's the word here but also the word attack. It means you're crushed. You're oppressed like you would crush grapes. The word oppressed means to be tormented. To attack, it means that they are warring against him. He, he not only is afraid that the king is going to cut off his head, Saul is still chasing him. All day just simply means it's relentless. just won't stop. Abuse is when someone more powerful than you takes advantage of, that, of their power and hurts you. And of that we must lament. David is afraid. The nature of this enemy, you see it in verse 5 and 7. 5 and 7 gives you the nature. Just notice the words. And this is just one of the ways to squeeze the goodness out of the Psalms. Uh, 
They, you notice the word lurk in verse 6. They stir up strife and they lurk. Second line, they watch my steps. Third line, they have waited for my life. It's this picture of being hunted. No matter where he went. Remember, he's already been anointed king, but he's running for his life. Listen, I need to say this, and this is not simply exclusively to battleground. This is just exclusively to life as a Christian. But especially what we are going through today, brothers and sisters, we need to realize that we are under attack. What you're going through is not just simply a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle. The devil is on the prowl. And you got your head in the spiritual sand if you don't see it in your life. The more violent the attack of Satan, the stronger our plea for deliverance, and the more important it is to come to the only one who can deliver us. Because there's only one. we got a formidable foe. His name is Satan. He's got a lot of, lot of people working for him, spiritual and physical. But there's only one that made the demons beg for mercy. There's only one that had to leave at his command. There is only one that healed the blind. There is only one that caused disease to flee like a scared rabbit. And his name is Jesus. And he is the only one that saved our wretched souls and made us children of God. So in times of fear and danger, who else can we come to but the one who lived a perfect life that died in our place and it rose again to prove I am the Almighty, hope in me. This brings back the important question. Is David teaching us that we can be afraid and be faith, be filled with faith at the same time? That's exactly what he's teaching us. Because courage manifests itself sometimes in shocking ways precisely because we are afraid. And because faith moves us forward anyway, listen, here's the truth. Everyone has faith. Everyone does. The naturalists have faith. The pagans have faith. The atheists have faith. The postmodernists have faith. And you have faith no matter what you believe. The only question is, what is the object of your faith? Because if the object of your faith is not bigger than the object of your fear, you will find yourself in a pool of anxiety and depression and defeat. you got to have an object greater than your fear. And who is it going to be? you got to answer that question. If you don't answer that question, you'll get the wrong answer to what can man do to me. So we bring our feelings. David is afraid, and so he brings it honestly to God like he did last week in Psalms 55. David makes clear to God, I'm afraid. And then he's teaching us how you use your faith to gain victory in those moments. Fear's reality must yield to faith's victory. So in times of danger and fear, we've got to know some things. I have to know it for next week, and so do you. We've got to know some things. What can we know first? Look at verse 3 and 4. God is with me. God is with me. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Who? Who? In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. You see that fight? 
begins to happen, the question is still here. What can flesh, what can mortal man do to me when I'm afraid I put my trust in you? This is the chorus. This is the song of David's life. Uh, this is the chorus, too, of this song. <laughs> it's going to repeat here, and we'll look at it. Look at verse 4. There is a twofold confidence to our faith. We've been talking about trusting and entrusting. That you can trust somebody but not entrust your kids to them. And if we do that with God, we're not trusting. We not only have to say, I trust him, but we have to lean back in that beanbag chair of our faith and put our whole weight on him. We have to entrust him. In the same way, there's a twofold aspect to our faith. We trust in God himself. We see that in verse 4. That's the, that's the you, Elohim. This is the main thrust of, remember, five books in Psalms, divided in five books. The second book, his focus is Elohim. Doesn't use Yahweh that much. Elohim, the creator God, is my God. He's the one I'm going to trust in. But notice the other side of the coin. It's in his word, I praise. So trusting in God means you must trust in his word. How are you going to know who God is if you don't know his word? How do we know God? How can I know I've not just invented Him as a figment of my imagination because He has revealed Himself in His Word and He tells me who He is. And He gives me promises, I know. Listen, you know this is true. You have families, you've been through broken marriages, you have businesses, you know. How do you know you trust somebody if He keeps His Word? That's how you know. And if they break their Word, you can't really trust Him, can you? You can't. God always keeps his word. When you're in the valley, listen, this is so important. It's just as true of a preacher's life. It's as true of your life. When I am in the valley of the shadow of death, it is awfully hard for me to go and read and study because I am overwhelmed by the pain I'm in. i got to know where to go. i got to have people... That just don't tell me stories about people that are going through things. What I need is the promises of God. Amen. And how I've been helped this week. When I get down to my application, I believe he's watching online. He'll, he'll notice the text because he sent it to me. We need some promises. Get yourself a devotional that has the promises of God in it. Get you a book. Find you something. So when the valley comes in your life, you can find the promises quickly. Because you either need to put them in your mind and devote them to memory, or you've got to have a place or a person to go that can give them to you when you can't think straight. God's promises are important to His suffering people. When I am afraid, I will trust you. And when I am afraid, I will praise you. He's singing, you see. Because faith's got to get out. It's like passion, right? Whatever you're passionate about, guess what's going to happen? Whoop. It's going to come out, isn't it? Whether it's God or money, it's going to come out. Faith needs an outlet. Listen to what Spurgeon says. It's my Spurgeon quote of the day. Faith brings forth praise. The one who can trust will soon sing. The situation doesn't change. What changes, listen, is our perspective. 
When I am afraid, I will gain a new perspective. This is the answer to the question. This question, what can mortal man do to me? This is how the song comes. Imagine, I know you've seen those little cartoons and stuff where you've got a little devil over here, a little angel over here. Imagine there's a conversation going on between fear and faith. Here's the question. Can, can King Achish or Saul, let's just go with Saul because that's his common enemy through all these years. Can Saul kill David? What would fear say? Of course he can. Got a, got a big sword, got all them people. Fear's going to say, dude, sooner or later, you can keep running. You can run, you can't hide, you know. Starts to make me want to sing a program, what was that, cost or something? You know, you can run, but you can't hide. You know, it is, I almost have to sing it now because it's in my head and I can't get it out. You bad boy, bad boy. Can, can Saul kill David? I had to do that because it just wouldn't get out of my head. I'm troubled that way. But here's what faith would say to that question. David, did God not promise you that you would be the king? Did David... Did God not fill you with His Spirit? David, did God not take the Spirit away from Saul? What's the answer? He did promise me that I would be the king. He has filled me with His Spirit. So let's go back to the question. Can Saul kill David? Faith says no. I'm afraid. That's true. This is really dangerous. Danger is real. But God has promised me that I would be the king. That's why David could sing. He could sing because he not only trusted God, he trusted what God told him. This enables him to sing. This enables him to write his perspective in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death that he has to walk through. Faith, you see. Listen. Faith does not abandon fear. Faith redeems fear. Faith will take the fear of man and turn it to the fear of God. And does not the Bible say the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom? I've got to quote Spurgeon again. He just hit it this week. Can't help it. There's two of them. Spurgeon said this, Unregenerate fear drives us from God. Gracious fear drives us to Him. If I fear man, or I put in parentheses, anything, I have only to trust God. In times of fear and danger, we must understand that God is with us. We must understand God is for us. How do I know God is for me? How do you know God is for you? Look at verse 8. Because God keeps a record. Mm. Listen, whether you have fear of man or fear of God, that will do different things in your life today. God's taking note of what happens to his kids. He's taking notes in this life. When I, when I step towards the hard by faith and I am attacked, God's taking notes at that situation. He's not asleep. He doesn't just say, you know, toughen up. He's, he's taking note. Look at verse 8. You have kept count of my tossings. That word means misery. Tossing means the ever-changing circumstances of life. You've kept count of them, every one of them. 
You put all my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? That's how I know God's for me. Because I've never wasted a prayer. Never wasted a tear. Matter of fact, it's not in your notes, but it's this is a good one. Revelation 8, chapter 1, just listen. It says, when the Lamb opened a seventh seer, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints of the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God. From the hand of the angel. God cares about what you're going through. He is with us and he is for us. And God's side is my side. I want to be really clear. You know, words are important. I could say God is on my side. That's, that's fine. But let's get, let's get really clear. I don't have a side in picking God on my team. God brought me to his side when I was dead in my trespasses and sins. When I hated God, when I was an enemy of God, God rescued me by his sovereign grace. I'm on his side. <laughs> That's a good thing. When the trouble comes and the enemies won't let up, it is a good thing to know whose side you own. Look at verse 9. Then my enemies will turn back. In the day when I call. This I know. That God is for me. Here's the chorus. The chorus is repeated from verse 4. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord. Whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. Here's the question. What can mortal man do to me? God's going to turn my enemies back because I'm on his side and my enemies are his enemies. And I know, I know, I thought of this when I was writing it down. <laughs> a, lot of my, a lot of my pain in the past has been from what you might call friendly fire. Right? You know that military? <laughs> somebody, somebody on your side shoots you. Sometimes that friendly fire don't feel so friendly. God knows how to discipline your enemies. By the way, he knows how to discipline his own kids too. He does a whole lot better job at both than we do. That's some of that entrusting. Here's the point. The object of David's faith is not Saul or Achish. The object of his faith is Yahweh. Do you notice the difference? And you look back up at verse 4. It was in God, in God, in Elohim, in Elohim. And he, he intentionally changes it here in verse 10 to Yahweh. I want you to get something. He doesn't say Yahweh much in, these, in this book. He's wanting you to notice that. David is singing. He is trusting. He is fighting for faith with his covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. 
It's right back to say you gotta, if you gotta, you're going to trust somebody, you've got to know they're going to keep their words. God chose me, God promised me, and I will keep my hope set on him, and I know he will keep his hands around me. Talking about this yesterday in a meeting. It's always made me scratch my head that every time I teach a theology class or doctrine class, I only I always have the same six people. Your theology and doctrine is the most important thing about you. And every decision you make in your life, you make out of your theology and doctrine. It's important. He's teaching us, he's giving us a theological lesson here on Yahweh. That name that was so important, they wouldn't even say it out loud. My God is the covenant-keeping God, the one that made a promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and now to me. So, what can Saul do to me? On man's best day, they cannot nullify the promises of God. God is my deliverer. This is amazing in verse 13. In times of fear and danger, we've got to know that God will deliver us. Here's what's interesting in the storyline, still in danger. He's not the king yet. Saul's still chasing him. The danger's not over. He has not been delivered. But his faith now, firmly rooted in his covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, sees his deliverance as already accomplished. It's what we read in Ephesians. That I was dead and now I'm alive. Paul says, right now, you were raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We're not waiting for that. We are already with Christ. Therefore, notice what he says in verse 12 and 13. I will thank him. I will thank him. He will deliver me and I will thank him. I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thanksgiving to you, for you have delivered my soul from death and kept my feet from falling. The purpose of thanksgiving is gratefulness over his deliverance. You see, the Old Testament system, the burnt offering brought peace. The grain offering was about gratefulness. It was about commitment. It was about devotion. It was about thanksgiving to the God who has forgiven us, who has rescued us. 1 Chronicles 16.34, listen to what it says. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Say also, save us, O God, of our salvation. And gather and deliver us from the nations, that we may give thanks to You in Your holy name and glory in Your praise. Saying, God, I want to worship you in the throng. I want to gather with your people to deliver us, O God, so that we may praise you. What David desires to do is to do one thing, to live for God. That's what he says. Deliver me that I may walk before God in the light of life. I've been helped by all kind of people over the last few weeks. Uh, I was walking out of the coffee shop this week, and one of my friends that's a pastor at a Pentecostal church stopped me, and he put his arm around me. He was telling me how much he, 
He loved me and his, how his church was not only with us, but with our church. And his prayers were for me and he was praying for me. And he said this thing and I, I thought about it for the rest of the week. He said, we only have this life to pray for healing, for there will be no need of it in the next life. <laughs> I was like, I went away from that set. As soon as I got in the truck, I was like, I got to write that down, you know. <laughs> it's true. Some of you are 18, 15, 19, think you're going to live forever. But listen, it, you have certain things that you can only do in this life. You can only be married in this life, which means you can only enjoy your wife in this life. Because we'll be brothers and sisters in the next life, amen? We can only evangelize in this life. We can only see the power of God deliver people from sin and addiction in this life. David is saying, i got to be alive to be a part of that. And I want to do it. I want to live for you in this life. There are things we can only do if we're alive. There's a very practical nature to this in one sense. Listen to what Isaiah said in Isaiah 38 in verse 18. For Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down in the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. I can't tell my children about Jesus if I'm dead. That's what he's saying. Nobody can... Praise your thankfulness in a coffin. We need to be alive to do that, God. So, so let me live and I will praise you. Micah can't play the guitar in a coffin. He can only play it in this life. You can only trust God and live. And trust Him today. There's profoundly practical. Light means to be alive. But in another sense, in our new covenant, we got the gospel sense this is profoundly theological, isn't it? John 8, 12, what Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have what? The light of life. David is determined to live life in a particular way. And to do things in this life that God has given him to do. Do you remember when Martha was talking to Jesus and Lazarus is dead and talking about resurrection? And Jesus said to her this, John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Here's the question that he asked Martha and that I ask you. Do you believe that? Do you take that as a promise from God? Because here's the truth. If we do, we will do the so what today, which is this. We will trust God and live. 
Listen, you may, like I said before, you may be 15. You may think you're going to live forever and you've never seen a five-year-old with leukemia. None of us have but today to live for God. Today is today. Here's what's amazing. Turn with me to Psalms 34. In the timeline of events, Psalms 34 actually comes after Psalms 56. And so David leaves Gath. He acts like a crazy man and survives. And what does he do? He goes to a cave. By the way, that's when these jacked up guys start coming around him that God would turn into mighty men. It's another message. But David's in the cave. Saul's after him. But David has this newfound confidence in God. Uh, Let's just look at verse 4 to 7. He says this, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So when you're on your place of fear, doesn't look like mine, but you have your place, when that fear comes down on you like a, like a wet blanket, when you start believing the lies of maybe I will never or I will always, when you are afraid, remember, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fears him. And he is the one who's going to bring victory. That's good news. So let me go to the passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This was a passage that a brother, and I think he's watching online today, sent me this week, and it helped me, and it ended up being, uh, last week, by the way, Mike sent me something. I think it's becoming a pattern here. It's just a lesson. As I mentioned with my brothers in the back, they helped me become the man that God has used me, and I've helped them become them. This is the way it works in our life. As my brother Derek always said, as iron sharpens iron. He got that from somewhere, right? Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at verse 6. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Authentic faith, you see, is a fighting faith. To trust God and live in the midst of the dangerous situations or hard situations, we must be able to guard our mind. You see the helmet? We must be able to defend ourselves with the shield of faith. And for this to mean anything in your life other than a verse that you quote, you must know the promises of God. You can't guard your mind. You can't guard yourself from believing the lies of of the enemy that wants to destroy you unless you know the promises of God. And that's the point of the text. And so, look with me then at verse 9. 
For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the promise. We will never experience the wrath of God. You don't understand the wrath of God, if that doesn't mean anything to you. We will never experience the wrath of God. That word destined means to fix by one's authority. God has fixed it by His authority that because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will never experience that which we truly deserve, which is justice and judgment. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. That's the promise to me. It's a promise to you. No matter what happens in this life, I will never experience the wrath of God, and neither will you if you're in Christ. Not only that, we will always live with the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, let's read it together from verses 9 to 11. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We will always promise live with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a present reality and a future one. Jesus died to remove the wrath. But just removing the wrath wasn't the point. That was the obstacle. The point of your life and mine is to trust Him and live with Him now. We're not simply hoping that we're going to live with Him one day. We're saying, today I've got today. I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. But this I know i got today and I'm going to live with Him for Him today. Whether we live Or whether we die, we will always be with Christ. By faith in this life and by sight in the next. Those who get this will be transformed from fear to faith. From fear of man to fear of God. So can I encourage you this morning with this passage? Trust God and live. Let's pray. Lord, your word is good. It's rich. Preach this again next week. And you would be just as wonderful and just as beautiful and just as needful in the lives of your people. And so, Lord, I pray for those that are watching online or even sitting here that have never trusted God so that they might live. Lord, you do not purpose us to survive. Or to claw our whole life trying to gain something that cannot be achieved. You came and lived a perfect life because none of us in this room could do it. You stood in our place because of your great love for us and died in our place. We're coming to the tables here in a few minutes to remember There's nobody else that did that. 
There's nobody else that proved his love for us by sacrificing his own son to pay a debt I could never pay. Only you did that, our Father, to bring us into your family. And so we remember that now as we worship. We remember it as we come to the tables. As we put the bread in our mouth and the juice to our lips. We are remembering. God is with me. God is for me. And God will deliver me. And I will live for Him. And so, Lord, we don't come to the table flippantly. We come to the table, but first we come to the throne. And say, Our Father who is in heaven, forgive us of our sins and our trespasses through the blood of Christ, so that we may come to the tables in a worthy way, worshiping you for who you are, and enjoying you for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. Lord, we long for that day when our faith is sight. But Lord, you have given us something to do here. And we long to do it. May we do it together. And may we do it with all our might, all of our soul, with all of our strength, for the glory of your name. And God's people said, Amen.